Welcome to Inbeta, where we discuss the big questions around human rights in the digital age. I'm Charles Bradley, GPD's Executive Director. Artificial intelligence was once seen as a speculative, almost science fiction technology. But in recent years, as the technologies associated with it have started to enter everyday life, it's become a concrete policy area in its own right, and the subject of urgent and pressing discussions about how it will affect human societies in the coming decades. Last month saw an important new intervention into this debate, with the publication of An Artificial Revolution on Power, Politics and AI by Ivana Bartoletti, who is our guest on today's show. Great, Ivana, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, for our listeners, it'd be great to get a little bit of an introduction and particularly about your, your new book, like what's it about and what were your aims in writing it? Yeah, so thanks so much for this opportunity. So um, the I wrote um, An Artificial Revolution because I um, really wanted to bring some Different, a different perspective to the debate that we're having, not just in the UK, but a global level around the um, uh, where we're going with new technology, with um, harvesting and extracting big data, um, and where we're we going with privacy. And I just wanted to deal with these issues from um, a feminist perspective. So, uh, feminist for me is all about power um, and um, and the redistribution and reallocation of power um, and and fixing the asymmetry of um, in uh, in this power allocation and uh, and I think we're facing the same issue in our digital world the digital world where these so the di- digital dividends have not been distributed fairly and where there is so much discrepancy of power allocation between us as uh, digital citizens and uh, the big companies having access to so much um, information about us as much as the sort of algorithms pointed at us when we browse through the internet and extract so much data about us. So I wanted to write from a power perspective. So the book is really a journey into data as power um, and um, from data extraction and is a journey from a sort of feminist perspective on how we need to redistribute um, and how we need to tackle this huge asymmetry that is um, underpinning the digital world. Yeah, and it's a Super fascinating read. We'll make sure that we we share it with uh, with with our listeners. Um, it's really interesting to sort of take that different sort of perspective uh, to this issue because we often see the AI debate as you know solely framed around sort of a data and privacy um, issue. And in your in the forward of your book, you sort of refuse to pigeonhole AI in this way. Instead, sort of emphasizing the ways in which its development replicates, as you were saying, these existing dynamics and sort of inequalities. Um, can you expand a little bit more about how you how you came to this um, and why seeing it in this sort of broader context is important? Yeah, so um, um, the my starting point is always that um, when it comes to artificial intelligence, uh, you are correct. People see this as, first of all, they see this as Terminator. You know, so when we talk hmm. AI with people, the ordinary person you talk to will say to you, "Oh, yes, it's the super robot. It's the general artificial intelligence that is taking over our world and becoming smarter than us." And then you understand, and you say, "Well, not really." Um, and this is this was my starting point, not really, because if I think about over the last decades, the big developments that we've done in AI, they haven't been around 
the important things like climate change or health. I mean, yes, there has been development, but not as much as I would like it to, to, to happen. But the big areas of development um, have been around computing um, advertising and around surveillance and even punishment. So when you think about artificial intelligence and you talk to people about what AI is, I always say, well, it's not the futuristic thing 20 years down the line or 30 years down the line, or, but it's really about um, algorithmic-driven digital advertising, the behavioral advertising and the ability of this supercomputer to really um, hack into our weaknesses and um, create personalities about us and, and target us, um, this sort of online manipulation that happens in our um, browsing activities online. And then the surveillance stuff. I mean, we are spending so much energy in understanding how to better surveil individuals. And if you think about the debate that we're having on facial recognition and um, indeed the desperate need, as some of us are saying, we really need a moratorium about it. We really need to stop because this is really changing the way that we inhabit our public spaces. So there's been a lot of development over the last few years and it's all been about computing um, um, advertising and and surveillance and I think this to me was the problem because I, I there is a big discrepancy between what people think of AI and what really algorithms and and uh, machine learning are actually doing and I just wanted to to, to to set that out and say to 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 readers in very simple terms look this is what is happening at the moment and we've got to all of us as citizens get into these discussions so that we can shape the direction of not just um, the products that we create, but what these products are for, because I would like to see more development, including, if we need to, more sharing of data when it comes to, 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 to healthcare, when it comes to tackling the biggest challenges of, of climate change. And, and I think it's really important that we have some clarity um, around what is happening at the moment. And, um, you know, the, the good thing is that there is some more awareness. Um, the Certainly what's happening in the US and all over the world with Black Lives Matter is um, having a profound effect on the demand for more justice. And that also relates to technology. And it's not by sort of coincidence that IBM and, and Microsoft and Amazon, they've said, we're not going to sell facial recognition technique to technology to uh, law enforcement, at least for the time being, until there is proper regulation about it. And and that is happening because of the amazing work of, of uh, Joy Bull and Rini and others, you know, amazing uh, campaigners and advocates. Um, but um, it's really important, I think, to really understand what we're talking about. We're not talking about a Terminator. We're not talking about... A super intelligence and we're really talking about the use of these techniques to manipulate um to um curate to edit and to surveil absolutely and uh, you know ever since the first sort of pop-up advert was served on the internet that's definitely been the sort of the, the the business model and the desire for all companies to be able to you know extract more information, be able to tailor these adverts and then drive them um, uh, to, to users and increase the value um, of them from a, from a marketing perspective. 
And that's obviously sort of shifted, as you were saying, in terms of the sort of facial recognition technology and this, obviously, this ability to use technology to uh, survey at this sort of, um, uh, the individual level in, a, in an offline world as well. Um, and we're really pleased to see um, some movement from the companies in terms of their sort of suspension of sales and, and, and um, uh, to, uh, to law enforcement. Um, but, you know, sort of stepping back a bit, like how should we really understand that particular sort of development in the, in the broader trajectory of AI? Like, is it, do you think it's a, a blip or sort of like temporary reprieve or is it something um, sort of uh, sort of bigger and, and sort of a potential opening to avoid this sort of AI um, arms race that you warn about in your book? Yeah, so I just wanted to say um, one thing about um, what sort of this sort of facial recognition um, and the openings that we're seeing. Um, so the, um, I mean, I think it's been really interesting what's happening with these companies saying mm. um, facial recognition is biased and therefore we've got to um, suspend it. We can't, it can't be used by law enforcement um and of course you know we all we all um witness what what happened in the u.s with the murder of, of george floyd and not just him but also the second homicide in in, in uh, the sort of the, the death in in, in atlanta and, and the movement that has uh, um um sparked sort of renewed um demand for for equality and, and anti-black racism so um I but the issue remains though, and I always say yes. I mean, let's not focus on the on on the wrong thing here. Mm. Uh, yes, obviously we don't want AI to be biased. We don't want any AI products to be to be racist. And you know, bias is a nice term, but in reality, you know, we don't want any of these products to be racist. Um, but even though, I mean, what happens that if six months down the line we find the perfect trick and we sort the problem of of racism in the systems do we still want to deploy them mm. <laughs> what i mean is that we need to have a conversation around what do we want this facial recognition for and i uh, obviously not all facial recognition is the same the one that you use to log in into your phone or to make a payment or whatever it is is very different from what makes you change the way that you behave in your public spaces because you're out with your friends and you uh, a watch or even or you think you're watched um and what is missing completely is a public discussion around what are we use this technology for what are the long-term consequences of this um and what is going to change um in if we start using facial recognition at every corner of our life um and this is this I think is what is missing. And this is a thing was important. I always and I feel that when it comes to I mean, the work that these women, especially like Joy Bulambini and and they have done, it's been amazing for years and years. And and I was really upset when I read the press release issued by Amazon that they were not even quoted there. You know, they weren't even thanked for all the work that they've done for years and years to demonstrate that those products were biased. But once we we've looked at the bias issues, then there is a wider debate around the use and then this, this deployment of this technology. And this is a starting point to say that, obviously, um, the um, 
every single tech te technology is net it's never a neutral thing isn't mm. it you know technology is always the expression of who's designed it who's wanted it was invested in it um and it's never neutral and Actually, every technological product, every technological artifact is in reality a very political one. So the answer to this has to be political. The answer has to be, well, what do we want this technology for? And what are the products that we're creating and what are they there to serve? Because at the moment, I don't know you, but the feeling I get is that we are adapting to technology rather than having technology adapting to us. Yeah. And we seem that we're constantly adapting to the new and glamorous technology that comes up and finding a way for the legislation to adapt, for us and our behaviours to adapt, rather than saying, okay, this is our shared humanity, this is who we are, this is where we want to go. And in fact, in my book, I don't think I I hold back, even in terms of you know the, 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 the fact that I want politics to be back into the driving seat because ultimately that is the problem. I mean, we're having a, a complete, um, we're having sort of computation that is replacing the law and we're having algorithms replacing policy. And I ask myself, well, where's politics in all this? And mm. I don't necessarily mean the party, poli party politics. What I mean is, you know, where is the global, where are the places where do we create we create global governance around these doors? Where are the places where we decide whether we are happy with detaching ourselves from the big decisions in life, including life and death, if we start de deploying automa automated weapons, for example? And I'm I'm craving for 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 uh, spaces to deliberate around these things, and and uh, and I'm also craving for those you know those discussions where. We understand that the answer to, to technology is is not um, by adapting to it, but it's by driving the technological future that we want. Absolutely, and I, I actually think that this move by the by some of these companies is is also a recognition of that. I mean, yeah. you know, um, just because you can build it doesn't mean you should. And I think that for a while that's been the sort of the mantra. And I remember some of my you know early days of, of working on these issues and going out to Silicon Valley and talking to companies and them sort of being yeah. very dismissive of politics and sort of saying that you know, we yeah. don't need these anymore, the nation state uh, sort of structures are out of you know, out of the way, you know, technology is going to bring all this benefit. Um, and in sort of, sort of pressing pause and saying, provide us with this legislation, tell us what is uh, is permissible or not permissible, or what what is what is fair by actually going through this process is is an acceptance from the company side to say yeah. this is too complicated for us. We can't we can't do this by ourselves, and we need a we need that public conversation uh, without sort yeah. of e explicitly sort of mentioning um, mentioning that. I mean, it's it's really interesting what you're saying, and and I agree. Um, I I am a little bit. Sort of conflicted on what is what's happening right now in the aftermath of the pandemic and and mm. the um, sort of um, uh, disaster from a financial perspective that is ahead of us, you know. So, and I'm wondering, following what you're saying, you know, I'm wondering, I wonder what you think about this, but I'm wondering, are we in a situation where, I mean, are we in a watershed moment? So, are we in a situation where? The large companies, they've realized that they can't determine 
fairness or um, or self-police themselves, but there has to be some strong um, um, policy um, development, to, even to give them some 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 safer space to, to operate within, mm. as you were saying. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, um, but at the same time, what is happening over the last few months is that these big companies like Amazon, like Facebook, they've always been huge, but it seems they're becoming bigger. Mm -hmm. Because they've become part of our national infrastructure, and I think everyone, even if we could avoid uh, have avoided them before the pandemic, but everyone has experienced how um, central and national infrastructure Facebook and Amazon are. I mean, Amazon deliveries, Facebook has, has allowed us to, to to in a time where we can't visit people overseas to go and to, to talk to everybody, um, and now they're moving on to giving. Um, payments so whatsapp has just announced you can make payments on whatsapp mm -hmm. it's starting in brazil so they've become increasingly part of this sort of big infrastructure and i wonder whether this is just gonna going ahead or whether there'll be a sort of more a stronger response from politics and regulators saying well hold on a sec you know they they're actually public utilities you know and it was actually facebook itself who said regulators like public utilities you know so yeah. it's like it's hard to say what's going to happen in relation to this in in the next year or so um and whether we look back in a year time at the two years time at these the post covid um the aftermath of covid and say well this really changed this in terms of antitrust and sort of competition or whether things would just sleepwalk into ever sort of less regulated, more surveillance. It's, it's hard to so, know what's going to happen in the next few months. Yeah, I completely. And sort of the the sort of tech lash that we saw yeah. sort of, you know, post-2016 yeah. and, and everything else, like that is definitely the, the, the public sentiment has evolved and the sort of position on, yeah. on the big companies has evolved. And, you know, even if there is... Uh, regulation, uh, which which I think there will be, you know, definitely from mm -hmm. from 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 uh, certain countries around the world, which the UK is definitely sort of taking the lead on that. Nearly mm -hmm. all regulation has entrenched dominant positions um, on the yeah. technology. If you look at GDPR, um, yeah. uh, from a marketing perspective, huge moves to marketing uh, funds going into Google and Facebook and people who can take on the risk of holding this personal data and 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 yeah. and, and uh, operationalizing it i mean like, th from our side it's really about what diff like what are the different sort of like tools and what are the different yeah. sort of values that we're going to be bringing inside those inside those tools and mm. one thing that you you speak about is the sort of the um the importance of you know ethics in in ai but also its potential mm -hmm. limitations and you know mm. corporate capture and being watered down by the corporations is mm. is, is is you know essential mm. here uh, we, we at GBD, mm. we prefer to, as a human rights organization, we prefer to use the, you know, the international human rights framework. Um, mm. I wonder what you thought of sort of, you know, the, the benefits of using that and the, and the limitations of that rather than uh, a reliance on sort of um, ethics and, and, and that sort of more nebulous um, or less, less agreed uh, concept. Yes. I mean, and as a, I don't think there is an exclusion, you know, side of all, um, you, I mean, I, uh, I'm critical in the book and continue to be um, so in relation to sort of this ethics debate, which I'm part of and I've been part of for years. But but the reason I'm critical is because um, we don't seem to um, to have moved 
in that debate mm-hmm. <laughs> too much. Um, so we all seem to agree that, um, but the problem is when you talk ethics and you say, what's ethics are you talking about? You know, and, and also um, how are you going to translate that into practice? And if you, for example, look at specific issues like I don't want biased algorithms, then yes, I mean, you can have a technological solution and not having a biased algorithm. But then um, if you want an outcome um, of a particular algorithm, which is fair and completely fair, you need to make a active social and political decision to make it fair because it won't happen naturally because mm-hmm. of, of, of the situation and the data that you use and the feature and the, that, that you use. So what I'm saying is ethics is, is, is great and it's fantastic that we're talking about this and it's fantastic that a lot of big companies that I see are are saying, yes, there is the law, but I want to... Um, I want to um, to innovate with purpose. I want to um, I want consumers and citizens to trust the way that I do things, and 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 also responding to public opinions who are less and less convinced. You know, they 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 that tech tech the tech companies are working for them, um, and so for them, you know, an ethical approach. Um, is um, is part of, of um, sort of engagement. Um, and I see things working where companies make the most of it and have uh, engaged the users, engaged the employees and bring them on board with them. So to me, that is what um, an ethical approach is all about. Um, there is a problem, I think. Um, and I think um, that the deployment of... AI that we've seen at the moment, particularly in relation to automated decision-making, um, is generating harms. And I always talk about three main harms. One is ex- exclusion, so the people being locked out of services. The other one is representational harm, which is the fact that you perpetuate um, stereotypes, for example, in digital advertising. And the third one is when you, you confuse um, correlations with, with causation. So these harms, they are huge for people and they impact on human rights, they impact on discrimination. And I don't think we're taking human rights seriously enough. Um, we're not taking the impact on exclusion has on, on people's human rights. We're not. Um, and I think, and I think um, it's really important to, um, to really understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think we're doing enough in relation to understanding what is the link between human rights and AI. Um, and what we haven't done as well is we haven't done a real fitness test of current legislation. So we haven't looked at human rights law. We haven't looked at the anti-discrimination law and see, well, do these laws and legislative measures, do they are they fit for purpose in the AI age or are we missing something here? And I'm thinking of areas like intersectionality, for example, um, uh, redress in case of an automated decision making. But what I'm asking, what I'm wondering is, is, is about is how do we know whether the tools and the laws that we have are fit for purpose in the digital age? Instead of saying, yes, I'm having this debate about, oh, we've got to regulate AI, which doesn't mean anything to me because it means like we've got to regulate mathematics, you know, so, so what does it mean? But, exactly. Um, I would like to see proper, fast definition of um, understanding of, of the current tools that we've got and see 
do they work to protect and safeguard individuals from the harms generated by AI? And then once we've understood that, then fix it with introduction if necessary or something more specific. But um, without that, I think we're still navigating in the dark. But I agree with you. I mean, the problem with ethics is it can be nebulous, but it all depends on how you use it. And if ethics means that you have a, um, um, a multi-stakeholder approach, that you, being, you bring your employees and, and your workforce with you and the, the, those were going to be impacted, um, if it's something that it's embraced by the whole organization, that is very different. The problem that we've got is that sometimes it's more of a PR exercise. Absolutely. And then bringing in that human rights framework is, is, is important to then uh, use those sort of um, that baseline. I think that your point there is just such a really good sort of way of ending this with a very sort of practical and, um, and, and sort of next steps of what doing this, you know, fit for purpose test, understanding yeah. what's existed, what exists and, you know, fixing um, the mm. uh, using like new or existing tools yeah. to, to, to manage that. I think that's a really, really good way of of um, giving us lots of food for thought and things, things that um, us at this side of the table from a human rights and technology sort of movement yeah. um, can do. Um, Ivana, thank you so much for uh, joining oh, us on this show. <laughs> it's really, really helpful and really good conversation. And we'll make sure that um, uh, the book is linked through uh, in the podcast um, so for our listeners can can go uh, that next step deeper into it so Ivana thanks so much thank you thanks to you thank you thanks Ivana before we end the show just wanted to highlight a new project that we've been involved in here at GPD this week we launched the disinformation tracker alongside a range of partner organizations working across sub-Saharan Africa SPESA, Article 19, the Centre for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria and Protege QV it's an interactive map which tracks and analyzes government responses to disinformation across sub-Saharan Africa, with the aim of supporting human rights defenders in the region working on that issue. The URL is disinformationtracker.org. We've also dropped a link below the podcast. Take a look and let us know what you think. We're really excited about this project and we'll hopefully be building on it in the coming months. Until next time, goodbye.